I want to put a verse up on the screen that I've put up there a couple of times in the last few weeks, and I want us to begin by reading it out loud again together. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, and it's out of a translation by J.B. Phillips. Let's read it together. One, two, three. For if any man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. How many of you believe 2 Corinthians 5.17 to be true? Let me see your hand. You believe 2 Corinthians, hold them up for just a minute. You believe 2 Corinthians 5.17 to be the truth of God. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Now, you can put your hands down, hands all over the building. We all say, hey, man, I believe that that is the truth of God. Now, I want to ask you a second question, but I want you to hear me carefully. Do not answer this one out loud, all right? Don't raise your hand. Just in case you weren't listening just then, I want you to listen now. Don't answer out loud to the second question. Here's the second question. Is it true practically in your life on a daily basis? Listen to what the verse said again. In Christ, He becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. You see what's happened, many of us. We know, we know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true. We know that it's true about us as we think about our standing before God. That we've been made new before God. That God now sees us as new. But many of us have settled for less than that in our everyday practical lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true about me positionally, but God is also at work in my life practically fleshing out that truth that everything about who I was is finished and gone and everything is becoming fresh and new. I gave you a, a statement last week that I want to give you again. Here it is on the screen. It's a reality. Everything that is true about me positionally, God is working out in my life practically. It is true that in Christ I've been made new. I have a new standing before God. God has forgiven me. I've got a clean slate. But what's true about me positionally, God is also working out in my life daily, practically conforming me to the image of Christ. As a family of faith, for several months, we have been studying through the book of Colossians in the New Testament. If you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 3. We've been walking through this wonderful little letter for the last several months. In the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series inside of this letter simply called, Out with the Old and In with the New. Out with the Old, In with the New. As we've been studying together through Colossians... Paul, in this wonderful place of Scripture, has given to us two foundational truths or two umbrella truths under which the rest of the book of Colossians falls or is built. 
fir- the first of those truths is who Jesus is. For a lot of the book of Colossians, Paul has been teaching us the truth about Jesus. He even said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Paul has been laying a foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, all that he's accomplished for us. But then the second truth, not only who Jesus is, Paul's been teaching us who we are because of who Jesus is. You see, I'm now in Christ. And Paul says, in him we've been made complete. In Christ we have been made new. And that's what Paul's been teaching us up to chapter 3 in the book of Colossians. He's been teaching us who Jesus is, and he's been talking to us specifically about our new identity in Christ, who we now are in Christ. But last weekend, in Colossians 3, we kind of took a turn. Paul turns the page in the book of Colossians and begins to talk to us very practically about what it looks like in our lives for this new life that we have in Christ to begin to be lived out in our lives daily. Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul began with that big word, therefore. And he's saying, based on everything that I've said, now I want to draw some conclusions. And the first thing Paul challenged us with is what we looked at last weekend, that being new in Christ means walking away from my old life of sin. That's the first foundational truth that Paul teaches us about our newness in Christ. That being new in Christ means walking away from my old life of sin. And Paul gave us a really strong challenge that we looked at last weekend. That in Christ, this stuff, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, and lies, Paul taught us that all of this, listen is not who we are anymore in Christ. We've been made new. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore, right? It doesn't mean that 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 doesn't try to creep up in our lives and take control. It doesn't mean that that doesn't try to, to ooze its way back into our lives. But here's what Paul was teaching us. This in Christ is not who we are anymore. It's who I used to be. It's who I used to be, but it's not who I am now. And Paul says, if we're going to walk in our new life in Christ daily, we need to walk away from the old life of sin. Some people at this point make a grave mistake of believing that being new in Christ means that I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Now, if you think that being new in Christ means that you don't have to deal with this stuff anymore, you are headed for a very great awakening. Amen? I mean, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time at all, you understand that walking with Jesus doesn't mean that I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. I do have to deal with this stuff in my daily life. Let me, let me give it to you in a statement. I wrote it down because I wanted to be sure I said it right. Here, here's what God put on my heart this morning. Being new in Christ doesn't mean the absence of sin. Being new in Christ means the presence of an ongoing struggle to live in victory over sin. 
Some people think, oh, because I struggle with this stuff, man, God must not love me. I must not be a Christian. This stuff's in my life, man. I battle it. I'm dealing with it. I'm struggling through it. I'm trying to overcome it. And they let the enemy use that to weigh them down with guilt to think, oh, I can't be a Christian, man. I struggle with some of this stuff. Listen, nothing could be further from the truth. If you're a child of God, it's not that this is going to be completely absent in your life. What it means is there's going to be an ongoing struggle until we get to heaven dealing with this stuff in our lives. But here's the difference. Now in Christ, this no longer has control over me. This is no longer in authority. In Christ, Christ now lives in me. I've been given the victory in Jesus through dependence on Him to live above this stuff in my life. I now have freedom in Christ to live above that stuff. You know, there's some mornings in your life. Some mornings you just wake up and you hadn't done anything yet. All you've done is just open your eye. You hadn't watched TV. You hadn't plugged in your iPad or your iPod or any of that stuff yet. You, you've not listened to the radio. I mean, all you did was open your eyes. And as soon as you open your eyes, man, there's some anger that just wants to grab control. Or maybe it's some passion. Something maybe from your past years ago, you hadn't thought about it in years, and you wake up that morning and it's just like it's, it's right there, fresh in your life. Why is that? Because we still have our flesh. And we have to battle with our flesh. But listen, here's the difference now in Christ. When I wake up, and I had to do it this morning. When I woke up this morning, there was just one of these things that just was wanting to grab control of my heart. I don't want you to look up here and think, oh, the pastors, they've got this thing figured out. No, we're living exactly where you're living. We have to deal with this junk and garbage from our past and in our flesh as well. This morning, I opened my eyes, and some of these things wanted to grab a hold of my heart. And we're used to, I was, this is who I was. This dominated my life. This is what controlled me. Now here's the freedom that I have in Christ. I get to immediately say, Lord, thank you in Jesus that that is not who I am anymore. God, I still have to battle this junk, but Lord, I want to lay it on the altar before you right now. And God, I ask you in the name and authority of Jesus, would you put that to death? And would you allow Christ today to live and guide and rule in my life? That's the newness that we have in Christ. We're being set free from those things in our life daily. And that's what Paul talked to us about last weekend. That if we're going to walk in the newness in Christ day by day, moment by moment, as these things begin to creep into our lives, we lay them on the altar. We say, God, that's not who I am anymore. I give it to you. Lord, would you take it? God, would you kill it? God, would you crucify my flesh? Lord, would you let me live in the new life that I now have in Christ? Walking away from the old life of sin. But then there's a second thing that I told you last weekend. Being new in Christ also means walking in my new life in Him. You see, following Jesus is not just about what I'm not doing. I'll say that again. Following Jesus is not just about what I'm not doing. Following Jesus is about what I am becoming. As I'm growing in Christ's likeness, as I'm laying myself on the altar before God, as I'm trusting Him to give me His new life day by day, moment by moment, 
Christ begins to live his life in and through me. Let me show it to you in the text. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up this morning in verse number 12. Paul says, So, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Last weekend, we focused on the first half of that statement, being new in Christ, means walking away from the old life of sin. If you weren't here last weekend, I encourage you, go online, catch up. Very important that you understand this principle. But being new in Christ also means walking in my new life in Christ. And that's what we want to focus on this weekend and next weekend as we continue to understand what it is to walk in our newness in Christ. So this weekend I want to give you two statements that everything we're going to say is going to be packaged under these two truths. Here's the first one about walking in my new life in Christ. The new life is rooted in understanding who I am. The new life is rooted in understanding who I am. Say that with me. The new life is rooted in understanding who I am. Notice what Paul does in verse 12. He starts by saying, so, as those who have been... You know what Paul's doing here? Before he even begins to give us the list of what newness looks like, he's reminding us again of who we are in Christ. He said, so, as somebody who's chosen of God, holy and beloved, Paul says, based on who you are, here's how you're now to live. The new life is rooted in understanding who I am. And what we've learned in the book of Colossians is that who I am is rooted in who Jesus is. You see, I've been given a new identity in Christ. And if you don't understand who Jesus is, listen, you'll never understand who you are in Christ. Who I am is rooted in who He is. So here's the key. You ready? If you want to not be living here, and you want to be living here, I'm about to give you the key. You ready? Walking in my new life in Him is deepened by my understanding who He is. Through my fellowship with Him daily. That's it. You see, the new life is rooted in who I am. Who I am is rooted in who He is. So the key to experiencing the new life is through my intimate fellowship with Him growing to understand who He is. There's no substitute. There's no shortcut for spending 
time alone with God. You say, man, at Hope, we talk about that all the time. Why do we talk about that all the time? Listen to me. Here's why. That's the key. You see, spending time with God daily is not just a thing I'm supposed to do so I can check it off my list of being a good Christian. Well, I did that today. I read my Bible and I prayed. I spent time with God. Done. Move on to the next thing. No, it's the key to growing an intimate fellowship with God. And listen, the more I understand who He is, the more I understand who I am. And Paul says who I am is the key to me beginning to live my new life in Christ. People will come into my office. They'll sit down and they say, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something. I want to I wanna talk to you. You know, it'll be one of these things on the board or something like it. You know, I need to talk. I need to start right here. Preacher, I've got a, I've got a problem right here. Or, or sometimes they'll want to start with something up here. Lord, preacher, I've got, a, I've got a problem. Give me some, what can I do to deal with this stuff in my life? You know the first question I always ask them? First question I always ask them. Tell me about your time alone with God daily. Well, you know, preach, I know I need to be working on that, and we'll get to that one too, but, but right now I'd like to talk about some steps to one of these. Listen to me. There aren't steps. There's the step. There's just one. There is no magic wand in the kingdom of God. There's no pixie dust that you can sprinkle over your life and deal with this stuff. There's only one step. There's only one way. And that way is to grow in intimate fellowship with God. And as I begin to spend time with Jesus, Jesus takes this old junk and he puts that to death. And Christ begins to live out his very life in me. You know what I've discovered? Here's what I've discovered. I can't be with Jesus and do that at the same time. I can't be with Jesus and do this, right? You know how to get victory in doing some of this? Just be with Jesus. Because if you be with Jesus and you begin to live your life where being with Jesus is not delegated to a few moments in the day, but that I begin to live my life out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with Jesus when I'm at work, when I'm driving my car, when I'm at the store, when I'm at the ball field, I'm living in fellowship with Jesus where moment by moment I'm taking these things and laying them before Him. Guess what you begin to experience? The freedom that you can have in living out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with with God. Listen to what Clyde Cranford said. Look at it on the screen. Christ must not just be one part of our lives. He must be our life. Are our lives defined by devotion to Him? Is intimacy with Him our hunger, our passion, our flame? If so, then God the Holy Spirit is free to do His work of transformation in our lives. You hear what He said? Is my life defined by devotion? How many of you today, by show of hands, how many of you are ready to, to stop living here and, and start living over here? How many of you are ready to do that? How many of you are tired of the old life of sin, the lies, the deceit, the what it promises and it doesn't deliver? You live in it and it, it doesn't bring that satisfaction, contentment. We're, we're ready to give that up. Let me tell you the key. 
intimate fellowship with Jesus. There's no, you cannot come to a service once a week and hear a sermon preach and sing some songs and then go live in the darkness of this world and think you can somehow live in victory on you. Listen, it's not my willpower to not do this. No, it's Christ in me out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with God. That's the key. That's the key. That's it. Now, Paul, as he opens this, before he gets to this list, he reminds us about who we are. And he does that because it's an understanding who we are that we find the freedom to live our new life in Christ. He gives us three, and I'm going to try to just summarize them for you. But Paul gives us three great statements about who we are in Christ. And I want to give you what Paul says and then try to give you a sentence that kind of unpacks it. Here's the first one. Paul says that I am chosen. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God. Here's the word, the, the sentence I want to give you. I am His because of Him and not because of me. Say that with me. I am His because of Him and not because of me. The word chosen is a word that means selected. And, and, and immediately when you begin to use that term or you read these passages of Scripture, if you're, if you're new to Christ and you don't know what I'm talking about, thank God and just ignore what I'm about to say. But some of you, as soon as you hear some of those terms, you immediately are ready to draw a line and start fighting. You're ready to jump on two sides of a theological debate and start, start boxing over some issues. And listen, when you do that, you miss the great freedom that we've been given in Christ to understand what He's saying. Here, you don't have to be a Christian long at all until you understand that my salvation is not rooted in anything that I've done. It is completely rooted in everything that He has done. I am not a Christian today because of my performance. I'm not saved today because I did something. I am saved today because of the amazing grace of Almighty God. And the more you grow in intimate fellowship with God, the more you're overwhelmed with the reality that I'm His because of Him and not because of me. Listen to the way Paul said it. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at it on the screen. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Now listen to this. Which was granted us in Christ Jesus... From all eternity. Here's what that means. In eternity past, God set his heart on me. And I'm a child of God today. Not because of anything that I've done. It's because of everything that he's done. Now let me tell you why that's so important. It's so important. Because understanding who we are affects how we live. You see, I can't stop what I didn't start. That's going to hit some of you at lunch, and you're going to be sitting there at Applebee's, or you're going to be sitting there at BJ's, and you're going to say, Glory to God! People around you are going to think, What in the world? Where's he coming from, right? He chose, I can't stop what I didn't start. Just ask Jonah. 
He tried. Jonah tried to go back to the old way. Jonah tried to go back to the old man. Jonah tried to go, and God loved him too much to let him stay there. So many people misunderstand the story of Jonah. We think the whale and the wind in Jonah is God being mad at Jonah and God punishing Jonah. That is so wrong. The whale and the wind was not God being mad at Jonah and punishing Jonah. You know what the whale and the wind were? They were God pursuing Jonah. You see, God loved Jonah too much to leave him where he was. God had another plan and purpose that started in eternity past when God set his heart on Jonah. And so God pursued him because he loved him. And God's going to finish what he started. Here's what that means. You're going to get here. You're going to get here. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began, what does that say? He who what? He began it. You know what that means? He started it. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. When Jesus comes, it'll all be done. But until then, God is at work finishing what he started. Here's what that means. You can fight against God, and you can war against God's spirit in your heart, and you can try to go live over here all you want to. But listen to me. God loves you too much. He's not going to let you stay here. God is going to finish what he began in your life. Now, the journey of how you get from there to here can be as whale field and wind field as you want it to be. But God's not going to leave you there. You see how who I am drives the way that I live? i got to understand who I am. I'm chosen of God. I didn't start this. God started this. God in His grace chose me and is doing a work in my life. And my part is just to respond to Him sense his promptings and lay those things on the altar before him that Christ can begin to live his very life in and through me. I'm his because of him, not because of I mean, Let me give you the second one. He said, I am holy. Chosen of God. Holy and beloved. Holy. Let me give you the statement for holy. I am pure and I have a purpose. You see, the word holy in the Greek language is a word that has two dimensions to it. It means to be set apart from sin, but it also means to be set apart for God. It's it's, it's at its root, it just means set apart. Set apart from sin, set apart for God. I am holy. God has set me apart from sin. Let me show you other words that we can use to translate the Greek word that we see here as holy. Look at them on the screen. Read them with me. Perfect, without blemish, pure, blameless, clean. Here's what Paul says about you. You're holy. Substitute this word. You're perfect. That makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? You know what Paul's saying? Let me tell you how God sees you. Perfect. Who's the only perfect person to ever live? Say it out loud. Jesus, right? The Bible says we are now in Christ. Let me tell you what that means. 
when God sees you and when God sees me, let me tell you what he sees. Perfect. You say, I don't deserve that. You're right. We don't. You say, that's not the way my life looks. No, it doesn't all the time, right? I'm not talking about my practice. I'm talking about my position. That's how God sees me. But when I understand the way God sees me, it motivates me and inspires me and convicts me to see my lifestyle conform to the way He sees me. I've been given by His grace perfection in Christ. But it doesn't only mean set apart from sin. It means set apart for God. You see, I've not just been set apart from sin. I've been set apart for God's glory. I am now a vessel for His honor. Now, here's here's how this identity truth plays out in my life. Now, my life has value far beyond success or money or pleasure or influence or power I've been set apart for something way bigger than that. You see, God has set you apart in Christ to be a vessel through which He can receive glory and a vessel through which He can make Himself known to the people around you. All that other stuff in life pales in comparison to the real. Paul says, man, if we're going to live out this new life in Christ, we need to understand we've been chosen of God. He started it. He's going to finish it. And Paul said, we need to understand we've been set apart in Christ. Set apart from sin, set apart unto God for His purpose and His glory. Then Paul said a third thing. I am beloved. Let me tell you what that means. I am continuously loved by God. Chosen, holy, beloved. Let me tell you what that means. And I've prayed for you already this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would let you see this truth. I want you to look at me. Everybody in the room, look at me. Here's what this means. God unconditionally loves you. The word love here is the highest expression of love in the Greek language. It's the word agapeo. It comes from a noun agape. It means to find one's joy in something as an act of the will. Here's what that means. God loves you to... Come here, here, lean in close. Listen. God loves you. And you can put a period right there. It's not based on what you do today. It's not based on your performance. He loves you. Listen, because He's chosen to. He loves you. You are loved by God. You are loved as His Son or his daughter. And listen to me, you don't have to earn his favor. He loves you. There's some of you here this morning, you grew up in a household with parents where you never knew unconditional love. 
and you for your whole life. Today, you have deep-rooted identity issues that are fleshing themselves out in your own family. You have identity issues that are fleshing out at work or at school because you've not known what it is to be unconditionally loved. Listen to me. I want you to understand something today. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and He accepts you. And there is nothing you can do to ever change that. You're loved. Paul uses here in this word beloved, it's the perfect tense, which is a very important Greek tense because it means something that happened in the past. It's completed action, but it has ongoing continuous results. Here's what that means. In eternity past, God set his heart on you. At the cross in Christ, God poured out his love on you and all the love that God could ever have for you, God has given us in Christ. And now as we live our lives day in and day out, we get to live in the glow and the glory of the love and acceptance of God because we are in Christ. Today, next week, next month, Every moment of every day in Christ, God finds his joy in you and in me. You say, well, uh, Pastor Vance, you, uh, you tell people that. <laughs> They're liable to just live however they want to. <laughs> You're right. But when you grasp that, let me tell you what you find out. You don't want this anymore. When you know that love, that's why Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us. He didn't say the wrath of God controls us. He didn't say the fear of God controls us. No, the love of Christ. And the word control, it's a great word. It means to, to compel. It means to press together. It's the idea that, that His love is so surrounded us, it leaves us no choice. The love of Christ controls us. Listen to what he says. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all, so that they who live should no longer live for themselves. But now we live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Why? Because we're so overwhelmed by the love of God. The amazing love that he's poured out on us. That we might be called his sons and daughters. New life. Listen, it's rooted in who I am. So the key. Look. How many of you have been encouraged by just what I've said in the last 20 minutes about who you are in Christ? Let me see your hand. I don't know about you, but I'm saying I studied this stuff all week. I got pretty fired up. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm loved. And listen, there's not anything you can do today to change that about me. There's nothing I can do today to change that about me. That's who I am in Christ. I got pretty fired up about that. But listen to me. That's three words. He gave us 66 books. All of this 
this is truth about God and his love for you. And listen, the whole story from Genesis to Revelation is the redeeming love story of God who's pursuing us and reconciling us back into relationship with himself. So here's the point. The key to living this new life is get to know him. Just pursue him. That's why Paul said, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I count everything else in my life to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul said, man, nothing else in life amounts to a hill of beans apart from knowing Jesus. Because when you know Him and you pursue Him intimately in fellowship, everything else rises and falls out of that. The new life is rooted in who I am. Let me give you the second one and we're done this morning. The new life is revealed in my relationships with others. Paul after he gives us this admonition to put this stuff off and he reminds us of who we are in Christ, then he begins this list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, love, thanksgiving, wisdom, all this stuff. Let me tell you what all this is. This is who Jesus is. You know what Paul's really describing here? Christ-likeness. Who's the most compassionate person you know? Jesus. Who's the kindest person we've ever read about? Jesus. Who's the most humble person? The Bible says it was his humility that drove him to the cross. Being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving. Who, who, who demonstrates this morning? Jesus. Here's what Paul's teaching us. This new life in Christ is Christ. Mm. That's worth hanging on to right there. The new life in Christ, it is Christ. You see, the Christian life is not you and me trying to not do this and do this. You ever given that much effort? How's that worked out for you? Right? Me either. The Christian life is not me trying harder not to do that and do this. No, the Christian life is me laying that on the altar, saying, God, would you kill that, and allowing Christ to live His life in and through me. Listen to the way Major Ian Thomas said it. I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Listen to what he said. He said, the Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then, lived now by him in you. That's it. It's the life he lived then, lived now by him in you. What does that look like? Ta-da. <laughs> Compassion. It's a word that describes a gut-level burden for the needs of others. Now, that's not who I am 
in my old flesh. In my old flesh, let me tell you who I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about me. But in Christ, Christ gives us a burden. Why do we care about people that don't know Jesus, that they come to know Jesus? Let me tell you why we care. Because Christ cares. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as I begin to let him live his life through me, guess what happens? I get a burden for people that don't know the Lord. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's, that's ridiculous. It's not about the gift of evangelism. It's about having the heart of Jesus. It's about being consumed with his life. When you get consumed with his life, guess what? I begin to be consumed with the needs and, 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 and hurts of others. Not only spiritually, but physically and emotionally and mentally. Kindness. Kindness is a word that means to, to carry out. It's Kindness is putting legs to this. Kindness is when it becomes more than a burden. And I begin to put acts, actions, and attitudes with the burden to begin to meet the needs of others. To begin to serve the needs of others. That's kindness. And let me tell you who that is. That's Jesus. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to what? But to serve. You see what I'm doing when this is being fleshed out in my life? It's not me not doing this and me trying to do this. No, it's me dying to myself that Christ can live his life through me. Humility. Humility is a word that is defined as esteeming ourselves small. And I love what one writer said. It's, I don't know who said it. I've heard it so many places. But here's what one writer said about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. That's pretty good. Gentleness. We hear a word like gentleness and we think weakness. It's often translated in some translations with the word meek. We think meekness and weakness go together. You know, this Greek word is the same word they would use to describe a broken horse, a horse that was wild, that had been broken and tame, so you could ride it. They called it meek. Let me tell you something. That horse wasn't weak. It was strength under control. Gentleness is strength submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit of God Allowing Him to control the way I act and react to other people. Patience. You're thinking, oh, I hope He wasn't going to get to that one, right? There are two words in the Greek language for patience. One of them is patience with circumstances or situations. That's not this word. This word is patience with, guess what? People. And it's interesting the way the text plays out. He gives us two verbs that describe what patience with people looks like. If you notice, he says kindness, com uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, but then he changes the way he's speaking. He says bearing with one another. These were all listed as nouns. Then he starts to, these two describe what patience with people looks like. The first one, bearing with one another. It means to put up with the weaknesses and inconsistencies in the lives of other people. How well are you doing with that one? You say, well, Pastor, I, I just, you got, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I can do some of this, but I, I, I can't do that. Hey, 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 you're getting there. You can't do any of it. And I can't either. What he's describing here is Jesus for crying out loud. It's Jesus. I can't live like Jesus. But let me tell you what I can do. I can let Jesus live in me. You see the difference? 
It's not up to me to try harder to become something I'm not. It's me living out of the resources of who I am and allowing Christ to live his life in and through me. And when Christ begins to live his life through us, guess what it looks like? Patience. Let me tell you from experience, he is patient. In my life, he's been patient with me. How many times have you, I know I have, had to learn the same lesson over and over and over and over again. And yet, I've never sensed him say, what are we doing here again? He just lovingly woos me out of who I was and into who I am. Because he's patient. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. It means to demonstrate the grace of God when there are weaknesses. He says, when anyone has a complaint. It, the word complaint means, it literally means a, an occasion to blame. It means that somebody wronged you. And they wronged you. And you're in the right, they're in the wrong. And he says, here's what Christ would do through you. Just show them God's grace. You say, but I'm right. It's not the point. Because he said to do it just as God has forgiven you. Aren't you glad that his forgiveness wasn't when not, not extended to me when I was in the wrong? Then he closes this list with that word love. We'll look at Thanksgiving and wisdom next weekend as we get into verses 15 to 17. But this first list... He closes with this word love. And it's interesting. It's the noun form of the same verb that he started with in verse 12 when he said, you and I are, are beloved. God's love for us. Here's what he's saying. God desires to love others through us. You see what all this is? This is you and me becoming the hands and feet of God so that God can demonstrate His incredible love to other people right through us. Now, how awesome is that? That God wants to say to the world, I love you. And He's chosen to do it through you and me as we allow Christ to live His life out through us. And we live out with the old, in with the new.